Hello and welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. I did not, I do not. Each episode we pick an area of agriculture or food production that confuses a lot of people and try to get Hallie to explain it. This week, we're focusing on superfoods for the third time! Numero trace. Superfoods, man. There's just so many of them. There are. I love the superfood episodes. So today we've got four little superfoods that we're going to talk about, discuss some of their benefits detriments, and whether or not they are really a cape-worthy superfood. Detriments? I don't, you know, the, the, the trade-offs, the, the good and bad of the superfood. Okay. I don't know. What, what could possibly be bad about a superfood? I don't remember any of the superfoods we've talked about actually being bad in some way. Can a superfood be bad? Actually, one of the superfoods we're talking about today was, up until recently, banned in the United States. So No way. Yes. Is it pot? It is not. No. <laughs> it's not. Okay. Good. Although we should definitely do a whole episode on that. All right. Uh, something to look forward to, listener. Okay. So first up today. Microgreens. 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 Which are greens that are tiny. Micro. They are little tiny micros. Nascopic. Just small. Did they come that way? Or did we make them that way? Why? How did they get tiny? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was so confused on what you were asking. Uh, they, go, they grow that way. All plants start small. This is just small plant. Okay. So what's so great about them versus regular greens? Yeah. So here, let me first like define what they are. So you might have seen these in the grocery store or on a salad or something, but you might not have. Uh, they're kind of similar to sprouts, if you are familiar with sprouts, like bean sprouts. Like alfalfa sprouts? Yeah, like alfalfa sprouts. Yeah, okay. that's a good example. Um, they're a little bit different, but they're kind of a similar idea. So w- when you have a seed, it starts to germinate. And the first thing that it germinates is called a radical, and then you get a little cotyledon that pushes up through the soil. The first two green things you see on a plant are not actually leaves. They are cotyledons that are inside of the seed and kind of fold up and open above the soil. Hold the phone. Yeah. I thought when people said microgreens, they were talking about like baby spinach. So it kind of is baby spinach, but it's like the babiest of the spinach. Like it doesn't look like spinach, right? It's white and skinny and it has like these two opposite little round leaf looking things that aren't technically leaves they are called cotyledons. And so it's it's just the part of the plant that was inside of the seed. It's like the the first like embryo that pushes out and starts to grow. It's before it really like becomes a plant. It's like probably 10-ish days old. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more depending on the plant. So it's not just small leaves. It's not really just small leaves, but okay. it is small plant. All right. That sounds like something you would need a whole lot of. 
yeah. to get some nutrition. <laughs> yes, we will talk about that. Uh, it's similar to sprouts. Sprouts are a little bit different because of how you grow them. So the microgreens is just the above ground part. Uh, the sprouts also includes the radical, which is the part of the root that comes out of the seed. And those are grown in like wet and dark environments. Kind of if you ever did that project in like fifth grade where you take bean seeds and you put them in like a wet paper towel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like that. It's basically that's what bean sprouts are. So it's wet and it's damp. Microgreens are just done in a plug tray in a greenhouse with like misters and soilless media like it's how you grow a lot of things in a greenhouse. It's pretty standard. And what was that word you said earlier? Cotyledon? Cotyledon. Cotyledon. Yeah, that's the part of a embryonic plant that's inside of a seed, if that makes sense. Okay. you got like different stuff going on in the seed, and a lot of it is nutrient energy that the plant then has to burn to get up and out of the soil. And then there's like these two little leaf looking things that push up and they don't look like the rest of the leaves. If you've ever done like growing a squash, you get these two giant round leaves that looks nothing like actual squash leaves the first time because that's the stuff that's inside of the actual seed. And usually they're the same shape as the seed because they're inside of the seed. So yeah, (laughs) that's kind of, that's kind of what they are, right? They are very, very nutritious. They're about four to six times as nutrient-dense as other leafy greens. Wow. Yes. Very, very nutrient-dense, which I was honestly not expecting. And I'm going to be honest, I was reading these scientific papers. Neither were the scientists. Like, everyone was very surprised at these findings. But that's honestly what it is. They're they're very nutrient-dense. They have lots of good nutrition in there. Uh, They are also very expensive, though. So... This is kind of a hard thing to imagine, but when we talk about fruits and vegetables, we don't often talk about the price to nutrition ratio, like trade-off. Right. But basically, if you look at things like kale, romaine, lettuce, spinach, collard greens, you usually are about like 60 to 80 cents per cup a market price. Okay. Versus microgreens, I, you can't actually find this from the Agricultural Research Service, which is where I got those numbers, but I actually just went to the store and looked up how much the microgreens cost, and it was about $2 for what I would estimate was a little over a cup. So it's a lot more expensive. It's very expensive as these things go. And it's you don't get a ton of microgreens, but they are very nutrient-dense. So... And when I sit down to eat a salad, I'm usually eating more than a cup of salad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But if you add like a couple of microgreens on top, you are getting a lot of nutrition. Not that it's nutrition that would not otherwise be in your leafy greens. It's just really packing a punch. Nice. Yeah. They're they're also very easy to grow at home. I <laughs> Microgreens are the perfect crop for any farmer who wants to run a greenhouse because it takes like 10 days-ish, sometimes less, sometimes more, for them to go, like be able to go to market. And it's very low cost. 
there's very very low overhead in growing microgreens and they're so expensive so you're getting like really top dollar so economically it's great for farmers but it's also really easy for you to grow them at home okay cool yeah like a little hobby plant or just extra food or whatever yeah they just they're so fast you have to like get it to sprout and it takes like eight days and then you just cut it down and eat it it's not it's not it's like you have to get it to flower and then fruit you know stuff like that it's just you get a seed to sprout which is everyone did that in like fifth grade like i was talking about earlier it's not that hard to just get it to sprout which is pretty much what you're eating so do you just get the seeds and put them between some wet paper towels? So I wouldn't do that. So when you're looking at trade-offs between sprouts and microgreens, sprouts are actually much worse for food safety because they're growing in a dark and wet place. So they're a lot more likely to have fungal issues versus a microgreen. You can just put it in a pot, plant the seeds, wait for them to grow, and you just cut them off with scissors. Okay. And then you just eat them like that. Put them in a pot of dirt. Yeah, I would use some kind of soilless media, like potting soil or... When you say soilless media, you mean like, dirt. I mean like potting soil. <laughs> like potting soil, peat moss, compost. Okay. Something like that. All right. I would maybe say this is a superfood. I would maybe give this a cape, actually. Okay. I mean, I could see having it as like something to put your daily nutrition kind of over the top. Yeah. A little extra food to, like you said, put on top of your salad, have it with other things. Great in a sandwich. There you go. Yeah. So if you're, especially if you're comparing it to sandwich stuff, it's bringing you way more nutrition than like if you put a romaine lettuce on that sandwich. Right. Um, It is very expensive for what it is, but... It's also extremely nutritious. Like if it's six times more nutritious than your leafy greens and it's only four times as expensive, still getting that return for value. You know what I mean? I mean, if you compare it to something like quinoa, yeah, which is about four bucks a pound last time I looked and had all kinds of great stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Mostly protein. Right. I don't know. I haven't shopped around for microgreens ever, but... Quinoa, I feel like you can make a whole meal out of. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But this sounds like some pretty good, healthy stuff. They're also very delicious. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, they're very, very tasty. So would recommend you checking them out if you can find them for less than like $4, a little clamshell. All right. Yeah, I'll give it a try. All right. Make myself a sandwich. They're so good on sandwiches. On, so good. On what kind of sandwiches? Any sandwich. They're good. They're good, good. Peanut Green. butter and jelly? Yeah. Put it. Do it. Absolutely. Grilled cheese? Do it. Do All it. Right. Coward. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom made some egg salad this morning. Maybe I can get some for one of those or some tuna or something. We'll put a picture on the Instagram of dad eating a peanut butter and jelly and microgreen sandwich. We will not. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a shot. So next is steel cut oats. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) How does... First of all, if you're not cutting oats with steel, then what are you cutting them with? And second, how does cutting them with steel make them more nutritious than cutting them any other way? Well, long story short, it don't. Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, I put this on the list because your mom 
was obsessed with steel cutouts. She was. She, she was really was. Obsessed with steel cutouts. And I googled it, and this is something that like people do make a lot of superfood claims around. Oats are good for you if you have high cholesterol. That's true. And that's pretty much what I learned about steel cutouts. Okay. Um, they're different from rolled oats because they're not pressed flat. So they're cut up much more coarsely. And so the pieces are bigger and they're not flat. They take a lot longer to cook. Um, the instant oats are like rolled out. So they're flattened and then they're also cut up, which is why they take so little time to cook. Um, but yeah, an oat is an oat is an oat is an oat. They, they have the same stuff in them. So you're not getting much more from taking the 25 minutes to cook a steel cut versus a rolled oat. That's what I always figured. Yeah. I So anecdotally, yes. I've eaten both of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I eat steel cut oats, maybe I'm a little more full and a little less bloated. I think maybe, but I, other than that, I don't know. I like the texture a little bit more maybe, yeah. but the, the fervor around them all, never made sense to me. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's a good grain. It's actually the oldest known grain that was cultivated by humans. Is oh, oats. that's cool. Yeah. But like 95% of oats that we grow are not for human consumption. They're for animals. Yeah. Yeah. Like mares eat oats and does eat oats. What? Mares eat oats and does eat oats. But little lambs eat ivy. What is, what is this that you're saying? Yeah, it's a song. <laughs> it's not a It's like a, what? it's an old Burl Ives song. I don't know this Mares song. Mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. I feel like I knew that tune, but I definitely did not know those were the lyrics. I would eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Something like that, yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't think those do eat oats because we cultivate oats and we don't really like feed deer. Deer just kind of eat outside stuff, not like crops. True. I bet if... A doe came across a pile of They'd love of oats. it. They'd be all about it, yeah. for sure. But mares do eat oats, which is a kind of horse. It's like a female horse. Yep. But it's a lot of like cows and horses, stuff like that. Fair enough. Yeah. Livestock feed. Well, that was a quick trip through the oats. Shall we cut here and take a break? <laughs> we don't need steel for this cut. Okay, let's go. Let's go to the break. Oh, man, I'm hungry now. For oats? For some good superfoods. I had a slice of pizza for lunch, and it was good and quick and has most of my calories for the day, but, you know, maybe I could have made some better life choices. Gotta get those fruit and veggies. It's true. You know who gets fruit and veggies? Who? Our starfruit patrons, Lindsay and Vikram. Vikram, our newest Starfruit patron. Welcome, Vikram. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Welcome to the team. Thank you so much. If you would like to, listener, join our Patreon community, if you'd like to support the show, you can join us on Patreon. And great news, if you join at the $2 level or up before October 5th, you will get a limited edition Patreon-exclusive sticker. I am getting one of these stickers for my computer. They look so great. They say... Yeah, only real superfoods are cape-worthy. Yep. 
And Hallie designed it, and I it did. looks great. I made some art for it. It's very adorable. If you would like this amazing sticker and like to join us and get exclusive bonus material like outtakes, our extra research from episodes, lots more, you can join us over at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. Back to the episode. Back to the episode. Dad, do you have a nature fact for us? I do. <gasps> All right. So in the first Superfoods episode, we did Superman's favorite food. Yeah. Ketchup. Uh, Steak with ketchup. Yes. Gross. Very, very. But, you know, he's not from here. (laughs) It's hard to judge. Batman's favorite food is mulligatani soup that Alfred makes. And if you don't know what mulligatani is, it's got lentils and apples and ginger and garlic and onions and carrots and oh spices. God. And this actually got me thinking. Uh-huh. We're talking about foods with extra nutrition. Yes. But you can put all of these great foods into one dish mm-hmm. and just get all of the nutrition that you need from that. Yeah. Like a peanut butter and jelly oat microgreen sandwich. It's true. It's true. <laughs> That now, soup sounds so good. Yeah, it is. I've had it before. It's delicious. I'm not sure that Batman technically qualifies as a superhero. Mm-hmm. I think he's just some rich guy with an attitude that likes to beat people up. Cool. Drag him. Yep. But he likes good soup. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Da 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 Nature fact. Nature fact. All right, what's next? Mangosteen. I love mangoes. No, mangosteen. Is that like a boy mango? Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> What's a mango steen? It's a kind of fruit. Okay. It actually looks like if someone from Animal Crossing drew a fruit. That's what it looks like. Oh, uh, I got to look this up. Okay. It looks like an Animal Crossing fruit. Yeah, that's what it looks like. So it looks like someone stuffed a head of garlic inside a pomegranate. No, it does not. Uh, In no way does it look like that. Totally does. What are you looking at? I know. <laughs> I'm looking at that. I know what it looks like, but that is not what. No, that's <laughs> the, a terrible. The white part looks like garlic cloves. The white part looks like lychee flesh. I don't know what a lychee looks like, okay, so well. that helps me none at all. And then the purple part around the outside looks like pomegranate, or maybe well, a plum. Like a, it looks like a persimmon. It looks like if a persimmon were purple. Okay, well, I've never eaten a persimmon either, so. You have eaten persimmons. I've eaten persimmons with you. Okay. Well, I've eaten persimmons, and I'm sure they were great, <laughs> but I don't remember what they looked like. You did like. not like them. Okay. We ate them out at the ranch. They used to grow out there. They were Texas really? persimmons, which are different from the market persimmons, yeah. but yeah. All right. So this thing that looks like two different foods assembled together uh-huh. is what? It's a fruit. It is. Yeah, it's native to Southeast Asia. All right. So it's actually called the Queen of Fruits because according to stories, Queen Victoria would offer knighthood to anyone who was able to bring her back some of this fruit because it's really, really hard to transport. So she liked it a lot. And if someone could bring her some from their like voyages, then she would offer them knighthood. Knighthood for fruit. Knighthood for fruit. That's it valuable piece of fruit right there yeah most people in the u.s have not heard of it similar to you because it is really hard to transport it still is today we are not really able to transport it in a way that is economically feasible yet they're like seriously working on it because apparently it tastes very good i've never actually tasted it why not 
Well, so you have to pick it off of the tree when it's ripe. Like you can't pick it early like we do with like things like tomatoes because the fruit just won't ripen off of the tree. So if you pick it early, it's just not going to be good. And then it also doesn't handle cold very well, which is the main way that we know to extend shelf life for fruits. So if it's not really able to handle cold, then we can't really keep it in storage for that long. And it's it just makes it really hard to transport. Wow, so it's pretty finicky, it sounds like. Yeah, it's a very finicky crop. Um, it also can carry invasive pests. So up until recently, it was banned in the U.S. You could not import it into the U.S. Oh, man. But I guess they're taking care of that problem. It is very high in vitamins, minerals, fiber, low in calories, similar to pretty much every fruit. Does it not grow here? No, it doesn't really. Like, it's Yeah, it's hard to grow outside of Southeast Asia. There are a couple of folks who do and try, but I actually read some interviews with them and it seemed very much like it was a passion project, not like a, I'm making a lot of money doing this because the trees also don't really start producing until at least 10 years. Um, so you plant them and then you have to wait like 10 plus years for them oh, to start wow. producing. Yeah, so it's a really tough crop uh, to sell here in the U.S., but if you go to Southeast Asia, you can find them for sure. So it's got vitamins and minerals and fiber. All those good plant stuff. Yeah. But most plants have that. Yeah. Pretty much every fruit that you get, like a commercially available fruit, will have those qualities. It also has these things called xanthones, which are a naturally occurring compound that you find in mangosteens and not really any other fruits that we eat. Is that what goes in gum? Like xanthan gum? Or is that different? No, that's a very excellent question that I do not know the answer to. Okay. I think that's what the extra research is going to be about. There you go. Okay, so... Probably probably completely unrelated, but who knows? I don't know. Maybe not. Hop on the Patreon once this episode drops. There will be answers to that excellent question. Yeah, so these xanthans, they're naturally occurring. They do occur in other plants, but none of them are really commercially viable. None of them are definitely not as commercially viable as the mangosteen currently. So there have been a lot of studies on using mangosteen extract to see how these xanthones impact different things. There's actually some really strong science that there are a lot of benefits. Um, There's not been a a lot of human trials. They're mostly in rodents. But they used that, like, conclusive language that you don't often see in scientific studies where it was like, it proves, it is shown to, like, it seems pretty clear that there are some benefits. Again, there have not really been many human trials. And this is also mangosteen extract. So it's not eating mangosteen. I was not able to find a ton of info about how many xanthones, I guess, the extract has compared to the actual fruit itself. But... It seems, according to the science that I read, that there's evidence it can improve cognition, uh, help with depression. There are, there were a couple of studies that were, actually seemed very positive that it had anti-cancer and anti-tumor benefits. Um, there actually were some studies in humans that the mangosteen extract had like anti-wrinkle properties, where it would like reduce the like vis- visualness of wrinkles. Um, It's also antibacterial. There's a couple of different things that they're looking into. But again, this is a mangosteen extract. So this is really looking at those xanthones that are in the fruit and not just eating the fruit, which probably is not providing you as many xanthones as 
a distilled extract would. I was going to say, it sounds like it does everything. (laughs) Well, there's still a lot of science out there. Those are kind of the things that are being studied and seem quite promising, but definitely not enough science yet. As we often say, more research needed. More research is needed. But how does it taste? Did you get any reports on that? It's supposed to taste very good. It's supposed to taste very delicious. I've not tried it. I think that you can find it. There's like two grocery stores in Austin. Maybe we should go get some. All right. Let's give it a try. I don't know if it, I would call it cape-worthy. It sounds yeah. like a diva fruit. It's like... A diva fruit? Yeah. I got this one climate. You got to pick me at just the right time. Give me my cape. <laughs> give me my cape. I like that. Yeah. No, I would not give this a cape. All right. Uh, Ginkgo. That's That's been around forever. Ginkgo, yes, it is what we call a living fossil. Oh, wow, it's been around that long. Yeah, uh, about 270 million years. Okay. Long time. It is one of the oldest lived species on the planet, up with like the redwoods. There is evidence that there are specimens that are more than a thousand years old. Pretty cool. That's old. Sorry, when you said living fossils, I thought it, I started thinking about the Rolling Stones. Why? Like Mick Jagger and... Uh, Are you implying that Mick Jagger is a living fossil? Yeah. Okay, cool. And Keith Richards, yeah. <laughs> okay, do you want to do you want to explore that a little bit or should we get back to Ginkgo or... That's all I got. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Ginkgo. All right. It's one of the oldest lived species on the planet. There okay. are trees that are a thousand years old. So I usually only see this in like tea form. Ginkgo? Yeah. So, oftentimes that's how we see it as like a tea. Sometimes you can find it in different herbal medicines and stuff like that. It has for thousands and thousands of years been used medicinally. It's native to Far East Asia. Uh, One of the interesting things though, when we look at how it's been used for the past several thousand years as a medicine versus how in the West folks are marketing it and using it and honestly are researching it is here in the west we look at the ginkgo leaf like you were mentioning like as a tea um, or something like that even like if you buy ginkgo pills they're usually made from the leaf there's been a lot of science around ginkgo leaves there is nothing conclusive there's also nothing really disproving uh, anything or proving that it's harmful but there's been very little science around the nut of the ginkgo tree, which is actually how it's been used in traditional medicine of the Far East for the past several thousand years. So there's not a lot of science on that use of the ginkgo tree. Okay. So I feel like you just kind of put it all out there. It's used for medicine. It's used for tea, but it doesn't really do anything. Well, so I actually, there was this really good article that I found through Yale There's this professor who is like the expert on ginkgo. He's written a book about it. And his quote was that there have been large scale studies that have been unable to be definitive. I feel like when a study is unable to be definitive, Mm -hmm. then you can't really make any claims about it. You can't say it does anything. Yeah, but you also can't say it doesn't do anything. That's the thing about it being definitive. Like, there is more research needed. There's a lot more science needed. But this is something that's been part of traditional medicinal practices for more than a thousand years. So what is it research for? What do 
people say it does. I mean, there's there's claims for all kinds of things. All right. All kinds of things. Um, yeah. I, I don't have a list in front of me, but it, it is many varied. Um, there have been research studies to investigate a lot of different aspects, but again, most of it has been around the leaves. There hasn't been a lot around the nuts. Um, yeah, so it's it's definitely not cape-worthy at this point. There's definitely more research needed. If we were doing like super plants, though, ginkgo would be probably top five first to get a cape because we love this tree. It's just very, it's one of those like very lovable trees that like all of the botanists just like have a special place in their heart for. Is it cute? No, it's, I mean, I think it's very beautiful. Uh, but it's just what, like one of those very poetical trees that like makes you think about the scope of the universe because like they do live for so long. Like you can have these trees that live up to a thousand years and you know, it's, for, you know, it's 270 million years old. There were actually six ginkgo trees that survived the Hiroshima blast. Like, these are very resilient trees. That is pretty remarkable. They're the only trees in their family because they are like this living fossil. So, every other tree that was related to them died out. They're just, ugh, they're a very poetical tree. All right. So, to review. Yes. Microgreens. Cape? Uh, I think you could argue, argue cape worthy. <laughs> You can argue on both sides of it, but you could definitely argue for a cape. Get some microgreens, make yourself a sandwich. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Steel cutouts. Not cape worthy. They're just definitely. Oats. <laughs> they, they are make, oats. They make a fine breakfast. Make yourself a breakfast out of them. Heart healthy, absolutely. Cape worthy, not so much. Mangosteen. More research needed. More research needed. More research needed. And listener, look up a picture. Tell me if you don't think it looks like a garlic and pomegranate stuffed together. Ridiculous. All right. And finally, ginkgo. Really cool, remarkable plant. Yes. Nutritionally, we can't really say it's cape-worthy yet. Correct. But uh, pretty cool stuff. Very cool, remarkable plant. All righty. That's our superfoods. That's our superfoods. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. It is produced by Catherine RJ and Hallie Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. You can find all of our episodes as well as more information about the show and the team on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Join our community and learn more about each episode at patreon.com slash onetogrowonpod. There you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, and even custom art created just for you. If you like the show, please share it with your friends. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears. Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing. Bye, everybody.